Welcome to FinTech's DEI Discussions podcast series. This is the Women of FinTech chapter, and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Ed Warner, CEO and founder of MotionSpot, and Kathy Hasty, menopause mandate advocate and experienced HR director and consultant. They are here to share how they walk the talk for inclusion and what more they want done. Welcome to you both. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Thank Nadia. Great to be here. So please introduce yourselves and share more about what you do and the mission that you are on. Thanks, Nadia. I'm Ed Warner. I run the inclusive design business MotionSpot. For the last 11 years, we've been working with clients across the UK, but also around the world to help them understand how to design truly accessible and inclusive buildings and spaces for staff as well as customers. The kind of key driver for us is is helping clients understand how they design beyond minimum standards of building regulations and consider how they meet the needs of of everybody, whether that's someone with a disability, uh, someone from different faith, ethnic background, culture or gender. We're all about helping design really beautiful environments that work for all. My name is Kathy Hasty and I have 30 years experience in human resource management. So up until recently, I would describe myself as an HR practitioner, but I am now a full-time PhD student and my PhD, which I'm doing at Bristol University, is menopause at work. So I'm also an advocate for menopause mandate, which I'm really passionate about. and, And part of that is because of my own journey through menopause so I had endometriosis, fibroids, polycystic ovaries, you name it, any gynae problem that you can think of I had and so had a surgical menopause four years ago now and I'm also just newly diagnosed with with ADHD so it's fair to say I've had a fairly colourful menopause so menopause mandate is is a cause close to my heart. And it's wonderful to have you both with us. And I'm super excited to hear your experience, the the work that you've been doing and how it can help our audience get better. Ed, tell us about some of the key findings from your recent report. We recently surveyed 2,000 people who experience either menstrual symptoms or the menopause in the workplace. And survey findings came back saying that 48% of people didn't feel uh, they had the necessary features at work to help them manage pain and discomfort. So types of suggestions that were put forward by the 2,000 people that were interviewed and polled were, were things like a comfortable place to lie down in the workplace, the ability to have a hot shower when required, the ability to access a, a dark and quiet and private room for a period of time. Just general good design principles in all offices, like access to natural light and fresh air and the right temperature controls came up in the survey, as well as as then more practical things like desk seating, greens, and sort of decompression areas that people can move to if, if they're experiencing discomfort. Super valuable you sharing this, and I'm I'm sort of nodding quite enthusiastically as I'm listening to this. As 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 is Kathy. Kathy, talk us through the mandate itself, please. Yeah, so let me just also say to Ed that I've got workplace envy now. You've just 
said that. Long overdue and all sounds absolutely amazing. Menopause Mandate is a group of campaigners and the aim of the group is to revolutionise support and advice for women on, on menopause. That, that's partly medical, but it's also society, workplace. Menopause is, isn't just, it isn't just, as we've just heard, isn't just medical. So there are four principles that we are aiming to achieve. And the first one is education for all. And that's education for women, but also education for healthcare practitioners. I mean, there isn't a mandatory good quality education for all healthcare professionals. So that, that's a big part of what we need. Every woman should have access to a healthcare practitioner who, who understands and is knowledgeable about menopause. Stop the scaremongering is principle two. And the, the British Menopause Society position on this is that HRT benefit, the benefits of HRT outweigh the risks. And that's not always seen and viewed in, in the media and the press. So that, that's another really important one. Number three is prescribing right. And quite often we talk to lots of women and certainly it was my own experience that women end up being prescribed antidepressants because they're not listened to. And this particular principle is that the, the NICE guidelines should be followed and HRT should be the first line um, treatment for, for men, menopause symptoms. Four is affordable and accessible HRT. So um, although there has been some progress with the uh, prepayment certificate, for a lot of women, particularly in a cost of living crisis, even that isn't accessible. And we hear lots of stories of women sort of having to make choices between having, being able to pay for HRT and, and food and heating and that kind of thing. That's just not acceptable in a civilised society. But also accessibility, that there have been shortages, chronic shortages of HRT, and that causes a lot of problems. It can be the difference between being able to function and having good quality of life and not. So that's really critical. And then last week for World Menopause Day, the uh, all-party parliamentary group, UK Parliament on Menopause, which is chaired by Carolyn Harris, MP, released a manifesto for menopause and the principle that that menopause mandate is standing behind is that every woman who is has a health check an over 40s health check which is a standard procedure should have menopause inclusion in that which is not at the moment which is bizarre given that over 50 percent as marianne frostrop said last week over 50 percent of the population are women and every woman who gets to that age is going to go through menopause so you would think it would be a standard part of the health check so that's the one that, that we're sort of focusing on and our campaigning it's great to hear all of what you've said there just you know the, the awareness side of it is it's shocking how little people know about this and it's brilliant that you're making such an impact on all of these topics great to hear what happened last week and all the campaigns that you're doing what other impact has this made so it gives a woman a voice and I think that's the first thing that it's a coordinated voice as well through the the people we've got some incredible people supporting mandate politicians journalists business people right across the spectrum academics women themselves and what that does it gives those women a voice of, of what they need straight into parliament the, the group gave evidence to the parliament or party parliamentary group uh, and that's really important but also it's awareness it raises awareness and through that vehicle we're able to raise awareness and, and menopause mandate last year produced a book which was stories from the women themselves and one of the things that we hear 
most often is that that women will go to their GP endless times because they don't understand, you know, with various symptoms, don't understand what's happening to them. There's many, many stories about women thinking that they've got premature dementia or cancer or something really seriously wrong with them when actually it's a menopause symptom that they weren't aware of. So that has had a huge impact on, on sort of raising awareness. And Carolyn Harris, who chairs the APBG, like and the, the the kind of social movement over the last couple of years on menopause as being you know almost similar in scale and growth to the suffragette movement and, and certainly you know from three years ago where it, there was a lot of stigma around talking about it to now where everybody's talking about it everywhere you, you can really feel um the changes that we've done things like we, we've got a holland and barrett have funded um, an advice line so women can ring up free and get advice from menopause, uh, British menopause accredited nurse specialists on the menopause symptoms. So that those things have made such a huge difference. And thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I'm, I'm really feeling the impact personally just with all the work that you're doing. And there's so many points that you both mentioned already that I just relate to, I recognise. And I'm so pleased that we're you know, get, getting this out to our audience as well. Ed, what should employers be doing to make their workplaces reflect the needs of their employees through menstruation and through menopause? I think the first thing I'd say is employers need to listen to their staff. You know, they need to ask staff the questions around how they are, how they're experiencing the, the built environment of their workplace. And that sounds a simple thing to say, but it's amazing how how few employers are actually running those surveys to, to get feedback on, on the challenges that people are experiencing within office environments. We found, you know, a number of businesses take tremendous benefit from polling staff to understand those challenges and then to work through the quick wins that, that can be made to offices. You know, a lot of the time, you know, these changes can be made at little to no cost. It just needs to be involved at the earlier stages of refurbishment or or a new build. You know, if you're if you're looking at principles like providing choice of a quiet room, for example, or you know, better access to light, better source of 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 heat, better source of of fresh air. These are these are good principles that that work for everyone. So, for me, you know, asking your staff. Uh, understanding the challenges, designing out those challenges at an early stage, but also understanding how the design principles for maturation and the menopause also intersect with with um, other protected characteristics. And you know, a lot of the time, the the principles that that, that we're talking about for one group of people actually work for for so many others. So, getting employers to think more broadly uh, would be my recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I really love that point that you've made that it's not additional cost. It's it's um, now thinking about it as a as a basic human right, you know, like, like considering this as well, when previously so many businesses haven't. Um, so with regards to creating that workplace culture that supports its menopausal employees and how that impacts their well-being and how that impacts job satisfaction, what are your thoughts on that, Cathy? 
So I think the one of the most important thing is, is getting rid of the harmful stereotypes that there's still, and, and it pervades through everything. It's in literature, it's in TV, um, you know, it's banter in the workplace. And sometimes, you know, I've been guilty myself about talking about, you know, my old lady eyes. And then somebody said to me, you know, by doing that, you're reinforcing sort of negative stereotype of age. And I thought, you know, what? I absolutely am. So sort of moving away from that kind of thing is, is, really important and providing positive role models stories talking about sort of women in that particular age you know having visibility and, and as ed says it's absolutely critical to to um give you know that group of, of employees a voice and there's a whole host of benefits in doing that not only do you know what your employees want from you and a need from you but also it's a key part of engagement is is employees having a voice and, and feeling that that voice is being listened to and that's a dynamic process that should be an integral part of of your employee engagement activities forever really on, on an ongoing basis and listen, listen to what they, they say, and, and it, it absolutely can't be virtue signaling. It has to be listening to what's being said. And, and things like community as well are really important parts of building a, a positive, sort of inclusive culture that we know through research that, and that, you know, community can be as informal as a cafe, it can be an employee resource group, it can be online, it can be face-to-face, whatever that looks like that by having a group of people that look like you, that sound like you, that have the same issues as you and, and are able to discuss them in a safe environment makes such a difference to feelings of job satisfaction and, and inclusiveness. And, and in, the, in the past, when it comes to mentoring, we'd have probably followed that traditional guru style type of, of mentoring, but actually the, there is a body of research that suggests that women benefit much more from having a network type mentoring so women mentoring other women and particularly in something like this it has a huge impact on a positive impact on culture and just to add just to add to that from 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 a health and well-being perspective we've done we've done a lot of research with clients over the years uh, around the the positive impact that inclusive design has had not just on their workplaces, but more importantly, on their people. And it's been found that, you know, by designing more inclusive workplaces, you can improve recruitment rates. You can you can recruit from a more diverse talent pool. But importantly, you have higher retention rates. You know, designing environments that work for everybody and enable people to thrive and bring their best to work will not just not just improve productivity but but it'll improve retention rate of the best people in the business but also there's a really interesting link between inclusive design and sustainability because if you get design of workplaces right from the outset you don't have to make expensive retrofits at a later stage both financial and also environmental there's one large bank we've been working with recently that worked out that for every one pound they spent on inclusive design at the design phase, saved them a hundred pounds in later stage retrofits. And for me, it's just about applying that common sense and and good design thinking at the at the right stage. Wow, what a great stat to share! For every one pound, a hundred pound to save. There's not many things you can say that for, is there? And great that you've mentioned retention in you know my my line of work. 
retention is is so so important and a huge point of the conversation that we're having and this is why we do these podcasts so that we can get better at looking after our people and you used the word there thrive allow people to thrive set them up for for best success and yeah really really loving everything that you're saying on the other hand there are some potential challenges there's barriers that organizations may face especially when addressing menopause in the workplace how can they overcome them Kathy? I think there's a lot of fear sometimes in the line managers that I talk to. And I think every HR person in the world would tell you that one of the biggest challenges we have to come is supporting and encouraging managers to have, line managers to have difficult conversations. And this is where education comes in, because it, it can be, I suppose, feel a very uncomfortable conversation. It's a relatively new conversation. And you mentioned, you know, the intersectionality of menopause and menstruation. And it's not the same experience for, you know, for people, menopause, every menopause journey is different. You know, I'm ADHD and menopause also my experience will be different to somebody else. And we, one of the things we talked about last week was ethnicity, different cultures, Michelle Ruth Robinson and Lavina Mehta. And we're talking about how menopause affects them differently in different cultures. And actually there's sometimes there isn't a word for it. So it's, that can be a bit of a barrier to having that conversation because um, if we approach it as if everybody's the same when we take that blanket approach to it, that can be um, uncomfortable and not relate to a lot of people. So education and knowledge is power and listening, you know, going back to that sort of listening to the voices and saying, how is it for you? What can we do to support? How can I support you? And recognising that it's an individual journey and everybody's characteristics are different. That's really critical to sort of overcoming a large part of those barriers. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing. And when we look at managers across the industry and leaders, what can they do more of to create an inclusive workplace? So I think the first thing is, is showing a demonstrating a commitment to it. And that's you know, a key principle of any change management programme is having that leadership upfront, open, visible and setting, you know, setting a tone. And then I think flexibility, there's, I mean, you must feel this a lot in, in your work but there's this huge discussion about do we go back to the office do we not go back to the office and there's been no doubt that having flexible working has a massive impact on on women for lots of reasons you know uh, that could be the difficult menstruation difficult periods it could be menopause but it doesn't have to be one or the other it can be a combination and that's where the flexibility comes in and not having to justify the reason that you want to work from home to say i've got a really good say i've got a really heavy period today so i don't want to come into the office that can be awkward and embarrassing for everybody line managers and you know there, there should be a much more open approach to, to flexibility open communication obviously that's a real key thing and say, psychological safety as well feeling that you can talk about these things without fearing the risks of this is that going to affect my career am I going to be treated less favorably when it comes to end of year conversations you know will I be performance management managed or you know have my absence managed that kind of thing and then sort of language and, and banter, you know, a, a real barrier. So talking about inclusive language is really important to, to making everybody feel welcome. And leaders are a real key part of that because people look to them for direction. 
think I'd just add a couple of points to that and, and further reinforce the need for education of senior leaders around this topic. But I'd also highlight the importance of male allies in this conversation and role modelling so that this isn't about women discussing with other women what the challenges are. This has got to be company-wide. This has got to be sector-wide. This has got to be industry-wide. And you know, 49%, 48% of the population need to be part of that conversation and, and doing something about it. I'd also say, you know, once that education has happened, putting in place an inclusive design strategy in your workplace is fundamental. But we always say a, a building or space is only as inclusive as the people who operate it. So making sure that the people operating those spaces are aware of all of those small design tweaks that have been made that 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 you know have involved lots of thought at the early design stage. But actually, if the people operating the building don't know what those design tweaks are, no one that's in the building is, is going to be able to use them effectively. And it's a huge missed opportunity, isn't it, in, in all avenues of inclusion work, that, that it's, it's almost like the impact can be lost because the communication hasn't been kept up. This sort of takes me to, to my last question. And in this podcast series, I always introduce it saying we're here today to walk the talk for inclusion because I'm such an advocate for action and having everybody involved in that action because there's far too many people in probably all sectors in the workplace who think it's not their job to look after this or to drive it forward. So I always love to have my final question asking you your advice to the listeners on what they should be doing, no matter who they are, to be building a better, more inclusive working environment for all. So I think what I would say is listen and learn. With knowledge comes understanding and tolerance. And I think the more we listen to people and, and understand about their differences, the more inclusive an environment will have because intolerance is, is bred by ignorance. So I, I, that would be my tip would be just learn and, and create an environment where people feel they can discuss. And I think my message for people to take away is to, is to involve the lived experience in decision making and design changes so so again going back to that point about about listening to your workforce and understanding the challenges to be putting in place a strategy but but you know make those small changes immediately you know this shouldn't be something that should take months and months years and years these changes should be implemented as soon as possible particularly those little to to no cost changes but i always say you know, get creative about thinking about design solutions. These solutions shouldn't be bolt-ons to your business. They should be embedded in everything you do. They shouldn't look like different spaces. They they should be the same brand look and feel as the rest of the building. And and I think back to Cathy's point around, you know, just being aware to obviously avoid that virtual signaling and just tick box exercise of saying we've addressed this really embed that thinking in the business and then the last one is is measure the impact you know these these changes have had and celebrate success and and shout about it so that people can understand what's working and 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 they can they can try it too amazing thank you both for joining us on fintech's dei discussions that was a brilliant podcast thanks Nadia. Thank you.